Good morning. We have an Advent reading for you this morning, brought to you by your pastor elders-to-be and elder. <clears throat> the Candle of Peace. Advent, which is Latin for arrival or coming, is the season in which we reflect and celebrate the miraculous birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Throughout this season, we light candles on the Advent wreath, with each candle representing a different aspect of the importance of Jesus' birth. Though we look back on the first Advent, we also look forward to the second Advent, when Christ will come again, not as a child, but as a conquering king. Two weeks ago, we lit the candle of joy, the purple candle. We rejoice knowing that Jesus Christ came not just as an infant, but also as our Savior. Last week, we lit the candle of fulfillment, the purple candle. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise, his being redeemer in Genesis 3.15. And today, we light the candle of peace, the pink candle. The world longs for peace. Without reconciliation for sin, there could be no peace. Jesus Christ came into this world to be the perfect sacrifice that would sacrifice that would reconcile us to God and bring to us peace with God. Being at peace with God brings us peace of God. There is no greater peace than knowing that Jesus Christ has conquered sin, death, and the grave, and that we can trust in him. Do you know the peace of trusting in Jesus Christ? Our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 9, 6-7. Our New Testament reading and our scripture reading for this morning. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were all filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with, an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Luke 2, 8-12. Father, our prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift of your only Son, Jesus. It is through him and him alone that there could be restored relationship. It is through his death and resurrection that we can be at peace with you. It is nothing we have done or can do, but everything that he has done on our behalf. Forgive us, Lord, for our sinful deeds. Transform our hearts to be moved away from sin and run towards you. Your word tells us that in Christ there is nothing that can tear us away from your love. And we are so thankful for that. That promise brings us a peace that surpasses all understanding. We praise you and give you thanks today and all you have done. 
and are doing and will continue to do in our lives, and especially for what you did on the cross. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are in Luke chapter 2 this morning, continuing in our Advent series, the Canticles of Christmas. The kids can be dismissed and head on out to Children's Church. We're going to uh, get rolling here. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have them in the back by the sound booth. You can go grab one. And, uh, you know, if you actually don't have a Bible at all, keep it. It's our gift to you. Um, no problem. I'll have the verses up on the, the screen as well uh, this morning. So, yeah, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be focusing in on verses 8 to 14. Uh, as we look at the Canticle of the Angels. We began this series with the Canticle of Mary, or the Magnificat in Latin. And we looked at her, her song of praise that she lifted up to her Savior. Last week we looked at the Canticle of Zechariah, this, this prophecy that he gave, uh, or in Latin, the Benedictus. We looked, looked at that and saw the covenantal fulfillment uh, of Christ. And this week, we, we look at the Canticle of the Angels, the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And this, this, uh, this canticle is different than the other two. One, uh, it's one verse long, so that's a little different, a little shorter. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, that means short sermon, right? No. I'm very thorough. We're going to pluck this thing apart word by word, syllable by syllable, grab lunch. No, I'm just kidding. But it is shorter. It is shorter. And this one's also different because the ones singing this song are not not humans, not uh, people of this earth, but it's the angels proclaiming this canticle. Um, So it's not not an earthly song, but a, a heavenly one. And the other canticles... Uh, Mary and Zechariah, they looked forward to this coming of Christ. This canticle is in response to the birth of Christ. And it's one that probably we're all familiar with, this glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We just sang it this morning in the first song, that glory in excelsis Deo. And it just gets, gets stuck in our head, and that's a good thing, because what this short but simple song shows us is uh, Canticle of the Angels. It's very nice. Um, what, this can, what this canticle shows us is, is the response and the result of the gospel. That's, where we're, that's the, the, big, the big idea that we, we see here this morning. The response and the result of the gospel. But I, I think in order to fully grasp um, what, was, what was happening in the scene with, with the, the heavenly host declaring this canticle is we need to go back and look at what exactly prompted such a song. Because this, I mean, this verse 14, this one verse, it's kind of like this crescendo of uh, uh, multiple events happening, and then all of a sudden there's this eruption of praise. So let's backtrack, and let's take a look at the, the context. And we'll do it through these, uh, these out, this outline here. An unlikely audience, a long-awaited announcement, and the angelic anthem. That's where we're going to be at this morning. But before we go there, let me pray again for our time. <sighs> Father, we pray as we open your word, 
and look at your message that you would work in our hearts and our minds and transform us this morning to be more like your precious son, Jesus Christ. That we would recognize him as Savior, Christ the Lord, this morning. Work in me. May my message this morning be your message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the unlikely audience. So I think to you, to really get the full scope of what's happening uh, in verse 14, we not only need to go back to verse 8, but we actually should just go back to the beginning of chapter 2. So let me read through that. Um, I'm going to read the, the birth narrative of Jesus and kind of skip over. It feels weird because, like, I mean, that's the passage, like, where Jesus is born, and I'm skipping over it, but that's okay. Um, it just feels weird but we're reading it. Verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And this is where we kind of pick up where we're at today here, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's stop there. This is one of those really familiar scenes for us, I think. Um, this whole scene of the, the shepherds being out in the field. This, this, this very Christmassy scene, if we've ever you know, seen like a Christmas pageant, like this has been played out with the shepherds in the field. But I think there's some historical background that I think would illuminate this scene even more so than just knowing like, hey, there's some shepherds out in fields and they're watching sheep. Uh, There's some background that brings out the true significance of what is happening here in verses uh, 8 and 9. Throughout Scripture, we see the shepherd coming up. In Psalm 23, such a popular psalm, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. David himself was a shepherd. Uh, In in Peter, we went through a study of 1 Peter. We see in his first letter that he he calls pastors to shepherd the flock of God. And in that same passage, he refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. And then, of course, this morning, the angel comes and has a message for Jesus. The shepherds. So we see this this running theme of of shepherds, and most likely these shepherds in this story. And this you know this is really interesting. They were most likely shepherding the flock for the sheep that would then be sacrificed uh, in the temple. Kind of cool how that works. The, it's almost, they're shepherding the sheep that would be the sacrifices. And they're in the same town where the greater and better Lamb of God would come to be born, to be sacrificed for us. 
So that's, I mean, those are the shepherds. And if you're anything like me, you probably grew up maybe thinking of shepherds um, looking something, you know, like this. Uh, this, is a, this is actually a piece from a nativity set that I had all growing up my whole life. This isn't my piece because ironically enough, in my set, the only one that's in pieces in a Ziploc baggie is the shepherd. Um, but this is, I mean, this is the image of the shepherd we see, not just in like this set, but in all the sets, this nice, clean-cut looking little shepherd boy. Um, but, and, and to us, you know, American 21st century readers of this, of this story and um, we would have no reason to believe that shepherds weren't anything but a respectable and honorable position. You're watching the sheep. Someone's got to do it. Uh, so they're doing their job. But if we were first century readers of this letter, like Theophilus, who Luke is writing to, we would be taken back some with the fact that the, here comes an angel of the Lord bringing a message to shepherds. Why, might you ask? I'm glad you did. Because... Shepherds were not respected people. They were not well-liked, and they, they actually um, were put into a social class that was only like one notch above lepers. So they're one notch above like the people that have to stay outside of town and wear a bell so people actually know they're coming because they want to keep away from them. They're like, just that little bit above that. Shepherds were looked at as ceremonially unclean. Due to their job... They had to be out in the fields constantly watching over the sheep because sheep wander. So they have to watch them and they miss uh, religious ceremonies and uh, traditions. So they didn't partake in all that. They weren't looked at as devout as some of the other Jewish people. They were looked down upon because of that. They also, I mean, if you're, if you're a shepherd, you're, you're out protecting your sheep from all kinds of animals, even animals that would be deemed unclean. Or a sheep dies, something, another animal dies, you, you take care of it, you're touching a dead animal, that makes you unclean. So these shepherds are looked at as, as unclean, they're not devout enough, they're one notch above lepers, and they had a reputation about them of being like lowlifes, just liars and thieves. I know, shepherds, shepherds! Like I, it was crazy. I'm reading this. I'm like, not the shepherd, <laughs> little shepherd boy. Anyway, I just had. Do you hear what I hear? Like playing my head for a second. But that's what it is. The, these guys' reputation was so bad that their testimony wasn't even admissible in like a court of law of that time. Like, can you imagine? Like, there are all kinds of testimonies taken from all kind of crazy people. Like, these guys are, are outside of that spectrum. They're like, no, we can't trust these. They're shepherds. They're liars. They're thieves. Um, so uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll says, if you played one of the shepherds in the Christmas pageant, uh, you got the worst part. <laughs> Unfortunately. Sorry, all you shepherds out there. It's okay. It's okay. The shepherds were an unlikely audience for the angel to come to. I think that's, that's evident. But... Even though they were unlikely, it was by no means a mistake that God would bring this message to the shepherds. Because the angel of the Lord coming to these, these shepherds with, with this message shows us the very heart of God and the very nature of the gospel. 
Just as we saw in the Canticle of Mary and, and we just read in the, the very birth of Jesus himself, God uses unlikely people and unlikely situations for his glory. He looks at the, the peasant girl in Mary and he says, you will bear my child, not, not some queen, you, an unlikely peasant girl. And this child won't be born in a beautiful palace or the city hospital or even a normal house. He'll be born into a, a, be laid in a feeding trough, a manger. This is the unlikely things that are unfolding here. And the, and the first people to hear about this birth aren't the high priests and the Sadducees, aren't the governors and the rulers of the time. It's these shepherds out in the field. These lowly shepherds. He didn't send the angel to the shepherds to go, hey shepherds, guess what? I got some good news. I'm going to go tell someone else because uh, you stink. Like that's not what happened. The, it comes to the shepherds and the shepherds say, listen up shepherds, we have some good news for you to hear. You're going to be used. Because the gospel isn't typical. God isn't typical in, in the sense that we think, you know, we think God would probably act this way and he does just the opposite. If, if, our, if, if God was typical in like the human sense, all the way back in Genesis, when, when Adam sinned, God would have just kicked him to the curb and said, you know, I'm done. But instead he promises a redeemer. There are consequences for sin, but God promises a redeemer. A typical God would want people to dig themselves out of their own mess, through their own moralism, through their own good works. But our God knows that we could not do it on our own because we're never going to meet his perfect standard. A typical God would, would use the, the powerful and the, the, the reputable for his purposes. Our God uses the least likely ones by man's standards throughout Scripture. That's the difference between the, the typical God and the true God. A typical God would stop 400 years of silence with this like grand entrance with like fog machines and a laser light show. And a t-shirt cannon. The t-shirt cannon's back. But our God doesn't. He comes in humbly using a peasant girl and a manger. That's awesome. That's a God worthy of praise. This is indeed someone of the highest glory. We see the very character of God. And we haven't even gotten to the message yet. Just who he came to to begin with shows that this is a God whose ways are not our ways by any means. And also, as, as you think about the, you know, the shepherds and the, these people who he used, I, I, I wonder if God who sent, I mean, God can do anything and use anything, but in the land of what if, if God had, had sent these angels to someone who was religiously entitled and just felt like they, um, they, they had earned some kind of favor and deserved something, would they have been blown away by what has happened on this scene? I mean, 
sure, angels coming down and the glory of God shining, like that's going to blow anyone away and cause someone to tremble. Like that's going to happen. But would they truly have been blown away by this news if, if there's, you know, would it have happened? I think of the Pharisee from Luke chapter 18. There are two people who go into the temple. There's the Pharisee. There's the humble tax collector. The Pharisee's thanking God that he's not even like the tax collector and that he's just so good. Would this Pharisee, if, if the angel came to him and brought this good news, would, would the Pharisee go, wow, God, I can't believe you chose me? Or, or would it be, have this attitude of, wow, I can't believe you didn't choose me sooner? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a big difference. I mean, there's only a couple words difference there, but the whole attitude changes. It's these unlikely individuals who when they're chosen by God that they, they don't have any other response but to be like, wow. They're the ones who recognize and just cherish God's grace and God's mercy. Is that us this morning? Do we realize just how much we ourselves need to be reminded of the gospel that we were called out of darkness into his light? Do we realize just how much we need the grace of God day in and day out? I think we forget that a lot. And we need to be reminded of it. And we haven't even gotten to the actual message itself yet. (laughs) Let's look at this message, the long-awaited announcement. Now, this is a, a long-awaited announcement because it's an announcement that has been coming since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is a promise of a coming redeemer. So this, there has been, there's been this waiting for this to come and happen. And an angel of the Lord... We're not sure what, what angel exactly this is. Gabriel was listed in Luke 1 in both those canticles. There's no name, so it's just an angel. Um, just a side note. Um, an angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, and the shepherds are filled with great fear, and the angel speaks and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Redeemer is here. The Redeemer is here. This long-awaited announcement is happening. The angel begins with this phrase, fear not. Because I think angels are self-aware and they know, like, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to scare these guys. It's going to happen. So they're, they're self-aware, so they know that this happens every time, and it's a good thing because the glory of God shines around you. If you're not scared, I don't know what's going on. So they start off, they say, fear not. Fear not, we have good news. I have good news to bring to you. I don't have bad news. I don't have bad news of condemnation. I have good news of great joy. And this good news of great joy will be for all the people. This phrase, for all the people, in its immediate context, when the, when the angel says this, good news for all the people, this typically would, would refer to, just in this immediate time, 
the shepherds would have heard this as referring to Israel. When the angel brings this, it says good news for all the people. In this, when this happened, they would have heard this as Israel. However, we know because we have the rest of the Bible and we have the rest of the story, this, this isn't good news just for one people group. We see the gospel going out further and further and further. We just finished up our study on Acts. We see it start first with the Jewish people. Then it expands out to the, the God-fearers and then just to the straight pagans and then to everyone. The gospel is for everyone. So yes, good news for all the people. We know that's going to widen up. It is really all the people. We're here this morning in this place because the gospel is for all the people. But just so we understand what was originally happening here, the shepherds would have, would have heard this and heard Israel's, Israel's Savior is coming. This good news is for, is for Israel. But we know, again, that that has widened out. And the message continues. Fear not, I have, I have good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that, that, is, that is Bethlehem, that's where that David is from. The city of Bethlehem play, plays such a role uh, in, in this leading up to the Savior. And we see the Savior born there in Bethlehem. A child has been born and this child has three very significant titles attributed to them, to him. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The fact that these titles are layered in one after another after another shows the significance of this child in the manger. We see Savior separately in Scripture. We see Christ. We see Lord they're all compiling here and now on this one person. And I, I want to look at those words. So we're going to start with Savior. Born to you this day is a Savior. As I just mentioned, Israel was awaiting this coming of the Redeemer. They were waiting for the Savior to come. Israel was awaiting a Deliverer. And, and that's what this, this word Savior means, it means deliverer. They were waiting one who was, for one who was going to come and deliver them from sin and death. And onto the scene comes Jesus. Born unto you this day is a Savior. Jesus was going to be the hero. And not just like a Savior who's like going to be jacked and take people out. That's, it's so much more than that. This is a Savior who is going to come, not look quite like the Savior you're expecting, and live a perfect life and sacrifice himself to pay for the sins of the world. This was the Savior who was here. And not only a Savior, we have, we have the Savior who is the Christ. Christ here is another title ascribed to Jesus. It's not his last name. I know some people think it is. Like Mary and Joseph Christ, that's not who it was. Jesus Christ, this word Christ is a title. It's this Greek word Christos, which means anointed. In the Hebrew, we know it as Messiah. He is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, we see kings anointed with oil. Uh, it shows the, the sign of, the, of their office. 
Jesus is the anointed king of kings, the, the greater and better king. He is the Christ. So we have the Savior who is the Christ. And He is the Lord. The word Lord isn't an uncommon one. We see it. Uh, it's used all throughout Scripture. And within even the Greek language, you could have this word Lord, which simply would mean something like Sir. Or it could span the scope to Lord, meaning God Himself. It spans both spectrums. In the Hebrew, that word Adon was used as a substitute for the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. Maybe we've heard Adonai. That's where it comes from. But given the weight of this announcement, I hardly think that the angels are saying, um, a Savior who is Christ, sir. Like, they're just being polite in the announcement. That would be silly. But the context lets us know that they're, they're saying, here comes the Savior who is the anointed king and who himself is God, this Lord. They're affirming Jesus Christ's deity in this good news. He has this position of Lord and ruler over all. Philippians chapter 2. We'll take a look at this on Christmas Eve. Philippians 2, Paul says, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess. That's lordship. What I find about this announcement is that it not only teaches us about who Christ is, but it teaches us about ourselves. God had to send a Savior because we desperately needed a Savior. We weren't going to deliver ourselves. It wasn't going to happen. We looked through Scripture. We, Israel doesn't deliver themselves. God's always working. His hand is always in it. The Gospel shows us that we need a deliverer. Not just any Savior. We need the anointed King, the Messiah. One who is divine. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that this morning? That you're in need of a Savior? Do you feel the gravity of what's being announced to these shepherds? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Jesus Christ, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And the angels continue and they say, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds don't demand a sign. The angels just go, Here's the message. Here's the good news. Jesus is born. Savior Christ the Lord. And go see for yourself. You'll find him in a manger. And this is exactly what you're going to see. And then this brings us to our angelic anthem. They give this sign. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now we're back to where we started this morning. We have the angels come. They come to the shepherds. They scare the shepherds. They bring this good news. Jesus is here. He's on the scene. Go look for yourself. And then suddenly... It's like the, the heavenly host just couldn't contain it anymore. They come together and they exclaim this, this Gloria and Excelsis Deo, this glory to God in the highest. They're excited. The Savior is here. 
They're excited. They couldn't help but to, to just join in this song. And here's, here's the kicker when it comes to you know, this whole situation, is these angels are overjoyed and excited and they make this declaration and they're not even the ones in need of the Savior. The angels aren't singing God's praises because they're, they're stuck in sin and in need of redemption. The angels aren't praising God. They are, they are praising God because He's worthy of it. And they're observing it. They're the ones who are able to give the good news that He has. They're praising God because even though they're not experiencing this redemption through Christ, they're celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, being a fan of a World Series winning team. I'm a Mets fan. I don't feel it too much. Um, but I did grow up in a Yankees household, so I did a lot of observing. Um, but, I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're a baseball fan and your, your team's making it to the World Series, you're watching these games one by one. Say it goes to a game seven. You're really on the edge of your seat inning after inning, watching this game. This is your team. You're in the last inning of the last game. You know the team's going to win. That last pitch is thrown. It's an out. Then there's celebration. You're jumping up and down. Yeah! My team did it! And then, think about it. Did you play on that team? No. Do you own that team? No. Do you get a World Series ring? No. A trophy at all? No. Well, maybe. Everyone gets a trophy now. But, um, but think about it. That's how it is with angels. They're not on the team. They don't get the, the World Series ring. They're just watching this redemptive story play out. And they're pumped. And so finally, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer is finally on the scene and they're excited to watch their team, that is God's team, watching, watching this team come out on top because the Savior is here. Victory is at hand. They're rejoicing for us and with us. What a perfect demonstration of worship. God reveals something about himself, something huge, and their response is worship. Pastor Lincoln Duncan says, and I want to tell you this, my friends. These angels not, ought not be more excited. This guy's from the south, so I'm not used to oughts. These angels ought not be more excited about the gospel than you and me. Because these angels didn't need to be forgiven. They were without sin. These angels never rebelled against God. You and I have. We ought to never let the angels outpraise us for the gospel. Are we excited about the good news? Is it great joy to us? The angels' worship shows us both the proper response to the gospel, worship, glory, and tells us of the result of the gospel, that is peace. So we have glory and peace in this song. And I want to look at those two things, and that's where we'll, we'll wrap up this morning. When we look at this word glory, glory can be used in a couple different, different ways. Um, you could be talking about a couple different things. You have the glory of God, which is 
God's weightiness or God's immeasurable worth and power. That's the glory of God. We see that kind of glory in the beginning of this narrative when the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. So you have that aspect of glory. And then there is this bringing glory to God or glorifying God, which more so is, is worshiping. That's what we're looking at at this latter part of the song, uh, this narrative here, in this song. And the two tie together. You can't really have one without the other because God is glorious, weighty, powerful. We should then glorify Him, worship and praise. They go together. And that's what the angels are, are declaring here when they sing out glory to God in the highest. The glory alone belongs to God. If we're living in light of the gospel, we cannot help but to put the glory anywhere else but on God. Because the gospel doesn't allow for us to be self-absorbed and pat ourselves really on the back because it's nothing that we've done. The angels declare glory to God in the highest, pointing the shepherds to the one who authored this good news to begin with. The angels didn't send the Savior. The shepherds didn't send the Savior. We didn't send the Savior. God sent the Savior. All the glory be to God. God's hand is the one at work. He's the one worthy of all of our worship. That's a theme we're seeing throughout all these canticles that we're studying. Look how, how, how Mary begins hers. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And let's not miss what Zechariah sang, just Zechariah sang, just to start it off. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And now the angels are declaring glory to God in the highest. It's all about God. It's all about His greatness. Pastor Paul Tripp puts it very well when he says, we all have our moments of glory confusion. We were created to glorify God. That's how we were designed. But because of sin, we struggle Constantly, daily, with glory confusion. We get caught up in glorifying something else or someone else other than the glorious one himself. It happens all the time. I, we, get, we get caught up in all kinds of glory confusion. I mean, look at, look at the season we're in, just this very season itself. We get wrapped up in all kinds of other things. Pun Definitely intended there. You'll catch it. (laughs) There are all kinds of cultural things that will pull us every which way but towards Jesus and towards the cross. Uh, Scott Hannay, one of the pastor elders in process who who read up here this morning, he wrote a a great blog this week that was in our newsletter uh, about being distracted from God, especially within this season, but really every day, all year, it, it can easily happen. Uh, it's just checking that blog out, reading it as a good reflection uh, on just the things that really are glory thieves. When something swoops in and steals our focus from where it should be, our worship from where it should be, that thing is a glory thief. That thing is an idol. They take the glory and the worship that's due to God and God alone 
and they, they hog it for themselves, right? We all have idols. What are the idols in your lives? Knowing them is important because only in, in recognizing and knowing that you can get caught up in something so easily and you get your focus off God so easily. The only way to, to repent of that thing, to flee from it, and to run to God is to, to know what that thing is to begin with, that sin, that idol. What takes the glory in our lives? Then we have peace. Look at the second part of this anthem, this song, this canticle. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the result of the gospel. We have glorifying and worshiping God. That's the response. But we have the result. Peace. Gospel peace is a, is, a, is a twofold peace. There is peace with God, and then there is the peace of God. We kind of had a, that in summary during our reading this morning, during the candle lighting. We cannot have the peace of God until we first have peace with God. So the angels declare, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I'm sure at one time or another, We've sent or received Christmas cards with this verse in them, but it says something different. It says, And on earth peace, goodwill towards men. This translation comes from the King James Version. Uh, Not that that's bad, I'm not knocking it, but this verse in particular misses a key aspect of this peace. Listen, Listen to some of these other translations here. The NIV says, And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The NLT. Yeah, I'm using the NLT here. And on earth, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The New American Standard. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The Holman Christian Standard Bible. And peace on earth to people he favors. The ESV, which we use here. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The King James, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There's an aspect missing there. There's this, with whom he is pleased, or whom his favor rests. That's missing there. And, and it, it's crucial because if we don't have this part, this with whom he is pleased, we miss out on entirely what this peace is and who this peace is for. Who gets this peace? It's with whom he is pleased. What does that mean? Well, at the fall, relationship between God and man was severed because of sin. There was no longer living at peace with one another. Man was in rebellion to God. There was this outstanding debt that could not be paid. Nothing we did or anyone did um, humanly could ever bring us to peace with God. It was severed. God could never truly look upon our good works and go, I am fully pleased. Because there was that sinful separation. But 
in Christ, in this Savior, who is Christ the Lord, he comes onto the scene to seal that separation. He's the one who brings us to peace with God. This song of the angel points not only to the manger, but points ahead to the work of Christ that will be done on the cross. Jesus came to be the Savior. How? By giving his life as a ransom for many. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God on the cross. The angels point to that redemptive sacrifice, and the result is peace. So the peace in this song refers to responding to this gospel in faith. This peace belongs to those who who see the work of Christ, who he is, and come and believe in him. Repent of sin, place their faith in Christ. That's that peace belongs to. Do you catch that? When, when we put our faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. God no longer looks at us and sees a sinner in Christ, but rather, he looks at us and sees his son's sacrifice and sees that debt is paid. That's peace with God, this reconciled relationship that can only happen because of what Jesus did. We can only have that that true peace with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the peace we're talking about. We're not just talking about a baby was born and boom, peace for everyone everywhere all the time. No, this is a gospel peace. And being at peace with God brings us the tremendous peace of God. When you realize that God is not just some angry curmudgeon in heaven who hates you, but realize that in Christ, he is just a loving father who wants you, who is for you, who, who loves you. There's a weight lifted off the shoulders that you know you're at peace with God and then you have that peace. When you realize that you don't need to keep working and working and working because if you don't you're you're automatically condemned there's this this flux of i'm saved i'm not saved i'm saved i'm not saved because i gotta work that's gone in christ because you know he has done the work let me clarify that i'm not just saying now we can just sit on our duff and do nothing um i'm not saying we should stay in the same place we were before christ because who cares we're just gonna sin but it's all right it's paid in full no paul says that we should not sin, that grace may abound. If there's a life change, if there's a transformation, we want to desire to be more like Christ. But what I'm saying is that when inevitably we don't look like Christ, we're not condemned for that because of what he has done. That's the gospel. And that's what brings us peace. Day by day, new mercies are seen. That even though we screw up on Thursday, we can wake up on Friday and know God I know you've got this. Help me. We can lean on God. He's in complete control. That's a peace. That's a peace of, of knowing God, of knowing who he is. Philippians 4, 4-7, to the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We all have those, those, those tough times, those times of, of anxiety in any, kind, in any way in life. But when we lean on God and know He is sovereign and in control, the anxiety doesn't consume. Let the peace of God consume your hearts and minds. And what the angels are saying in Luke is the Savior is here. Trust in Him. Look on Him. Believe in Him. And you will have great peace with God and you'll have the peace of God. One verse is echoing so much truth. The angels demonstrate the response to the gospel and proclaim the results of the gospel. We have glory, worship, and we have peace. Do you have this peace this morning? Are you resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Can you proclaim glory to God in the highest? Jesus, our Messiah, is here. Can you rejoice knowing that God does not look down on you with disgust or displeasure, but with pleasure because you've put your faith and your hope in Jesus? The Savior has indeed come. He has paid the debt of our sin that is owed. Do you trust in Him this morning? Do you have that peace? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Son. We are ever grateful that You look down on us. You saw our need. You met that need. We thank You that You are always good from the beginning. You knew you weren't going to leave us to fend for ourselves, but you sent your son. I pray that you would just work in our hearts this morning as we respond, that we would be responding to your gospel, that we would just relish in the joy that comes from knowing that Christ is Lord, that he is Savior, and that we can trust and lean on you and him always. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.